Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. This is Liza Berger, editor of McKnight's Home Care. Help at Home has a new care coordination segment that aims to connect home care with health care. I recently spoke with Chief Clinical Officer Marianne Longo about how this program takes the company's home care services to the next level. Oftentimes, I think companies lean toward technology and artificial means of interpreting clients' conditions. When you have a human in the home, you really have a different advantage. And I think it's a simple yet really smart approach to take to identify how folks are doing living on their own at home and how we can best help them to stay there. Your company, Help at Home, has a new care coordination segment that we've written about. Tell us just briefly about what this segment is and what you're aiming to accomplish here. Sure, Liza. Care coordination is an extension of our home care services, and it provides a connection between home care and health care. So we leverage the caregiver's knowledge of the client through the observations that they make while providing care within the home. We couple those observations with clinical and social needs assessments from healthcare workers to gain a full picture of the client's physical, behavioral, and social needs. And then the care coordination team acts on those insights to coordinate healthcare services and address social determinants of health. So our aim is to really understand the client um, and to help them live at home, regardless of their age or their chronic conditions. This seems like a lot, such a logical extension of what you were doing before. Um, as a clinician, it must make you feel good to know, hey, we're, we're actually doing something that makes really good clinical sense. It does, and it's a big part of what drew me to the company, both in terms of its mission and its approach. Oftentimes, I think companies lean toward technology and artificial means of interpreting clients' conditions. When you have a human in the home, you really have a different advantage. And I think it's a simple yet really smart approach to take to identify how folks are doing living on their own at home and how we can best help them to stay there. It seems that there are two pieces of this new initiative, the data collection and then the coordination, kind of the referral part. What is the purpose of each of these and why are they both important? So data is really great when it's holistic and it's timely and it's actionable. But if you don't then leverage the data expediently to coordinate care, the client's condition can change, their condition can deteriorate, new needs can arise. So it's important not only to have data that is timely, that looks at both clinical and non-clinical drivers of healthcare outcomes, but also to have a team of individuals that understand how to interpret the data and then use the data to connect the individual to the appropriate services that they need. In my mind, they can't live without each other. And one of the things that's really unique in our situation is that there's a human component to both pieces, the data collection and the care coordination. What have been some learning points so far with this program, which is still very new? Mm -hmm. Are you surprised by what some of the data has revealed? I think my most 
pleasant surprise came in our first week when we first stood up the caregiver observations. One of our caregivers noticed that their client was having some difficulty breathing and couldn't walk the distances that they typically walked. And that observation led to one of our nurses contacting the individual and getting more information and connecting them to primary care and ultimately pulmonology. And so what could have been a hospitalization for an exacerbation of, of uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease ended up being an outpatient appointment because of that early identification of a change in condition by the caregiver. So it was very exciting to see the system work in its first week um, and bear fruit. And the data continues to inform us, not only about just individual changes in condition, but it's also telling us about the social needs of the population. And, and I've really learned that the evidence that we use to build the program has been reliable, it's been accurate, and the observations are helping us to predict and avoid uh, untoward health events. So it's a 25-question form that's filled out on a Monday, I believe, right? It's actually, it's, a, it's about 12 questions to start, and then there's branch logic. So if you answer yes, you might get a couple more questions. If you answer no, it'll skip you forward. It's a digital tool. We send it out on a weekly basis and we leave it open for the whole week. So the caregiver has any time during the week that they're working with their client, they're able to go in and provide answers to those questions. So give us an idea about what these questions are that can yield such important findings. So they're driven off of the literature when we look at those things that typically lead to ER visits and hospital admissions, particularly in this population. So we ask questions about mobility. We ask questions about breathing. We ask questions about their skin condition, for examples. We also look at their social needs. Is there food in the pantry? Um, we also ask about their behavioral health. Do they look sad? Are they sleeping more? Are they sleeping less? But all the questions are written in layperson's terms, very simply with very plain language. Similar to if any of us were with a non-clinical background or taking care of a family member, we'd equally be able to answer these questions because we would know if that individual we're taking care of is having a good day or a bad day or is moving less or is moving more. What I think is so important by having a caregiver answer the questions instead of self-reporting is we tend to not admit, you know, that we're not walking to the mailbox anymore, or we may not even recognize that we're not walking to the mailbox anymore. But I think we've all had that opportunity to sit next to a friend, a family member, or some loved one to say, you know, you don't do as much as you used to do. Sometimes we ourselves don't have that insight. No. We can't see ourselves clearly always. I want to go back to the idea that, wow, finally, this is something is being introduced that really maybe should have been there all along, right? This is something that just seems so intuitive. So what has changed in the healthcare, home care environment that has allowed something like this to, to take shape? I think there's been two really key changes, and they've been slow and insidious over time. And I think first is the growth in the population. And when you look at statistics from CMS, we know that there's been about a 3% rise year over year 
in the duly eligible population in this country. And the last statistic that I've seen quoted from CMS was from 2019, and it was over 12 million individuals that qualify for both Medicare and Medicaid. It's a substantial population and it's continuing to grow. And I think the second factor um, that's influencing change is the desire to be in the home and to receive your care services in the home, kind of this shift in location. And I think that was accelerated somewhat by the pandemic, but I think that shift was occurring even before then, where the, there's a consumer-driven uh, desire People people don't want to be institutionalized and they don't want to have to always go to bricks and mortar. They want their services where they live and they want to live out their life in their home and in their community. So a program like this allows that to be more possible if you can avoid that hospitalization and instead get that primary care visit. You might be able to head off some, you know, potential clinical problems that can take place when you do go to an acute environment. Oh, absolutely. And even things like falls within the home. For many people, a fall is the beginning of the deterioration of their health, whether they break a hip or they begin to lose their competence and their ability. So being able to keep people strong and healthy at home improves their quality of life and improves their outcomes. And payers are kind of willing more to pay for something like this is from what I can understand and gather. We all know about the growth of Medicare Advantage and how they offer these supplemental benefits. Obviously, they want to keep people in, at, at home as well. Is Are these types of arrangements also helping to drive the creation of these types of programs? Yeah, I think both Medicare Advantage and, and whether or not it's a standalone Medicare Advantage uh, beneficiary or someone who has Medicare Advantage and an aligned managed Medicaid program, they're all value-based. You know, they're all value-based payer models. And they're all aimed at improving outcomes, driving quality, closing gaps in care. So our program makes a lot of sense to these payers because we help them to reach those aims. And we do it through this ongoing uh, stream of in real time information from the individual's home. That's really interesting. You were brought on because of this program, and you had mentioned that you really kind of got passionate about this program. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. So I'm a family nurse practitioner. I've been a licensed healthcare provider for 35 years. And in those 35 years, I've, I've done and seen a lot of things, both in the hospital and in the community, at the bedside, by the exam table. And I think I've always had a great passion for health equity and making sure that all individuals are able to access care and able to achieve their optimal health. So what really drew me to this company was the mission and the ability to be impactful on a large population who really have substantial needs. Because of this program, Help at Home is actually hiring um, nurses and, and LPNs how is this new business going to be changing the, the business model of Help at Home? So Help at Home's core business is to provide caregivers for personal care within the home. That doesn't change. What care coordination does is provides an extension of those personal care services to help connect the client 
to healthcare and to social needs. So we're hiring nurses, social workers, and also community health workers to try to extend um, the services that we can provide and the and the ways in which we can advocate for clients to round out their healthcare needs. And actually that really optimizes the caregiver's ability to be successful and they really appreciate having the additional support in keeping their client healthy and keeping them at home. I would imagine that other clinicians would probably be excited about something like this, like you were. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I have to say that I've really not encountered anyone that hasn't been really mission driven and really focused on our goal of helping people age at home and also take care of our caregivers. You know, it's important to us that they realize their value and that they know we realize their value as well. What can other home care companies learn from this new program from Help at Home? Is this something that other companies can replicate and do you expect them to, to do so based on the healthcare environment that we talked about? I think that they can learn that the connection to the client through the caregiver is invaluable, um, not only in time spent and the observations that they share, but also in the trust that comes from that relationship. There's value there that they can harvest to help identify needs and better connect the client to healthcare and social services. I think the challenges come with scale. Um, we're a large uh, home care company. We're uniquely positioned. This is our sole focus. We have over 50,000 caregivers. Um, so I think some of the challenges come in just being able to build that network of support um, on a smaller scale with smaller companies. As we talked about, because of the growth of the value-based arrangement and the desire of people to age in place, is this a program that almost all companies need to be thinking about in some form. I think for this population, absolutely, because they're difficult to reach. They are trying to stay at home, and it is the most cost-effective place for them to be. So I, I, I do think that it would be mindful of them to be considering programs such as this that are better able to connect and identify the needs and connect the individuals to the services they need. So looking forward now, what are you hoping to achieve in the next year of this program? What kind of um, outcomes are you kind of keeping an eye on and what are your goals? I think for us, getting the program from where we are today to a year from now is certainly growth. We're in that growth mode now because we're, we're early in our process. Being able to share our outcomes, whether it's gaps closures with HEDIS, lowered emergency room visits, less admissions to the hospital, we're also hoping to influence what's called rebalancing of individuals. So being able to shift people from going to short-term rehab and end up having that roll into a long-term stay, but really being more successful in rehoming people after they have an extensive admission or even a subacute stay. So I'd like to be talking to you a year from now about all of our metrics and what we're able to kind of post up to say, these are all the things that we've been able to achieve over the past year um, and just be able to continue to grow our business and impact as many people as possible. Well, I'd like that very much as well. Thank you so much for talking to me, Marianne Longo of Help at Home. Thanks, Liza. It was great to talk to you today. 
Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com.